listening to the Medic Materials Podcast, hosted by Mike Turek, Emily Yates, Kelsey Coons, and Gerard Cuomo. Each month, we discuss EMS news, medical science, and review actual EMS calls, bringing many educational opportunities to the listener. Portions of the calls have been altered to protect the privacy and identity of all involved. Hello and welcome everyone back to the Medic Materials Podcast. Mr. Phil Foundation. Hello, hello. How are you, sir, tonight? Oh, you know. <laughs> I mean, it could be a, a fantastic mood. We haven't done a show, just you and me, in a long time. Yeah, it was like, what, last year we did the one? It was, a, it was a very special Patreon episode. I don't even remember what we talked about. The bear. The bear! The bear oh, my God. My fucking internet decided to fucking go down like eight times. Dude, that call was nuts. Like, absolutely nuts. You mm-hmm. want to talk about a crazy, wild Patreon call? Let's try getting mauled in a convertible by a bear. By a fucking bear. Like... <laughs> There's a reason to become a Patreon right there. Um, yeah, shameless plug. Right, shameless plug. We'll be doing a lot of those here in the first couple minutes, but uh, first we have to welcome our clinical coordinator because we are not fully alone today. Miss Kelly is here. Kelly, 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 Kelly. Because you're Kelly, 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 of mine. That'll never get old. That will never get old. But so, so in 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 all the festivities of of you, me, and Kelly being here today, I I brought a call that is is kind of. Awful. Um, I'm pretty sure that that you and I have been on calls like this. Um, I've been on every call imaginable. I know, I, I know, and and if you and Gerard was a black cloud. I'm worse. I know, I know. It's crazy. Um, another shameless plug. If you if you're like Phil and Gerard, you should get the brand new Medic Materials Black Cloud EMS sticker. Um, yeah, you absolutely should. Um, but, um, I, you know, I thought this one, when I got it was, it was from a fly car standpoint, it, it has a lot to talk about in how this call progressed and how this, this paramedic, uh, worked on this call. Uh, but then it seems like it's just very Patreon worthy. Like it could, it could swing both ways. This could be a Patreon episode. It could be a free episode. Like it's right there on the fence in the middle. Um, so, uh, once we, once we go through it, I'll have to see your, your thoughts in, um, where should this lie? But, um, in the meantime, I'm going to take the time to do the rig check in the, in the shameless plug that is you guys should buy our brand new sticker line here for medic materials. Um, there is the thin white line sticker, which is, uh, I think our best seller. 
uh, out of every one of them. Uh, if you guys uh, are a frequent listener of the podcast, there is the Don't Trust the Alpha sticker. Uh, only true fans of this show will actually know what that one means. Gerard's, I, I designed this one specifically for Gerard, and that is the frequent flyer travel services. Uh, one for his uh, aviation background. I think this was my favorite one to design. Um, and that is the festive diesel bolus one. Um, and then uh, I think the most popular ones that have been selling like hotcakes right now. And that is the um, EMT and paramedic fuel. Whoop, this way, EMT and paramedic fuel. Uh, along with the uh, 100% uh, first responder fuel, uh, you know, coffee IV bag sticker. So uh, they are all available right now. Medic-materials.com. Uh, you can find them there. It takes you right right to our merch site. Um, and uh, yeah, you'll get a, a cool little 10% off discount um, when, uh, when you purchase. Uh, I'll send it to you guys in the mail. So on your second order, you can get a cool swift 10% off. Um, otherwise, let's shout out our listeners in the great state, soon to be Republic again of Texas and Denmark. Because you know, I love to I love to pick two. I know, dude. Did you see that the uh, uh, there they have enough petition signatures to get um, the um, the secession like up to like to the people. So the people have to vote on it. And if they vote, yes, it goes to the legislator for them to duke it out with the feds. Like they actually have enough signatures that it's going up to the, to the, you know, Texas public for vote next year. It's, it's freaking wild. They're going to do it again. You know, they're going to do it again. Just, I'm just waiting on it. Um, so your system, Phil, and Miss Kelly, because we can't forget about Kelly. She's gonna she's gonna do one hundred percent awesome, just like she always does. Um, your system, uh, it's a rural response district that is covered by a volunteer fire department that staffs a BLS ambulance with a driver and an attendant and a crew chief. And a paid county run ambulance that is staffed with an EMT basic and a paramagician. Um, Your hospitals within this area, there's two within the immediate area. One is a community hospital located approximately 30 minutes away. And the second hospital is a part-time stroke center and is PCI capable. So um, what do you mean by part-time stroke center? They are a 24 hours a day or 24 hours a week. uh, (laughs) <laughs> Only, you know, they, they can't afford to pay full-time prices, so they have to, you know, knock off their uh, their workers at part-time hours. Um, well, you have but, some people, that's not enough hours to work at, a, at, a, at a, or be a stroke center. Absolutely. So this is a stroke center when it wants to be. Um, if they have neurology, they're a stroke center. If they don't that particular day, they send out a, a phone call and say, we're not a stroke center today. So... Yeah, get wrap that whole thing around your head. We can have a whole discussion about that in a, in amongst itself. Um, but this part-time stroke center 
is also PCI capable, so they can they can handle MIs. Um, and that hospital is approximately 25 minutes away from this call. So you guys are going to be dispatched a Delta priority or priority one to a single family home for an adult female with complaints of difficulty breathing. The BLS volunteer ambulance is dispatched as well as the paramedic unit from the county. Um, it is updated uh, through the county 911 system that a supervisor truck, uh, which is a fly car, uh, is in the area and will be sent from the county while they're transporting ambulances also en route, but has about a 35 to 40 minute ETA to the scene. So my, my first question, and if Butch was here, I would ask Butch directly, but, um, what are your thoughts in supervisors and supervisor vehicles going on regular calls? I think it should be. I'm trying to think of a way to say this without sounding like a dick. <laughs> um, I think it should be whoever is the like the crew that responds to the call. I think it should be their discretion if they like have a supervisor in a fly car and just have them, you know, fucking stage in a station, go out, you know, get lunch, go to Chick Fil A. Do whatever they want. Yeah. If if the crew who responds to a call calls them, because if not and they just show up, it turns into a dick measuring contest. Yes. Not so much where, where I work. It's not that bad because really there's only like two main supervisors who show up. I mean, like I personally don't have a problem with any of my, like my higher ups, I guess you could call them. Right. But. But I, I understand where you're coming from because I have worked in places where there's paramedic fly car supervisor vehicles and they show up to the scene and they're second guessing the crews. They're checking up on the crews They're you know, and like now your crew is tiptoeing around the supervisor to make sure they don't get in trouble and they might miss something or the supervisor just takes up, takes over and then just dumps the patient on them because they don't want it. They don't want, they want to do all the fun stuff, but they don't want to transport at the end. Um, so like yeah, I, mean, I get, that I was get, where I used to work. Like if surprises showed up, it was a clusterfuck trying to get them, you know, to actually give you a hand instead of sitting there. Right. Right. And you know, like I'm in the, I'm in the camp of like, you know, I'm, I'm all for, the closest available unit go to the call. So like if that just so happens to be the paramedic supervisor and they're capable of doing calls, then yeah, you're kind of sunk with the, with the supervisor vehicle going, especially if you have a 35 minute ETA for the next available ambulance. Like, yeah, like some places take it too far. Like there's an agency in, the like I'm gonna say immediate area that I work in, but like closer up towards like the city of like city area. Yeah. Where like if they do an RMA, the supervisor has to come out there and like make sure that this patient is RMA appropriate. Yeah, see that's just that's such a waste of resources. Yeah. And time or 
like if there's an extended wait time at the hospital greater than I think an hour and a half, their supervisor will show up, take over, take over patient care, and the uh, the crew goes back in service. So like sometimes, how's that work? I don't know. That that seems like a uh like a what like a red flag on the play because like what did do they have their own ambulance? No, so they'll be in like a fly car. So then, where does the ambulance go? I don't know. How does that work? I think we should do some investigating and come back to that because now I'm really intrigued on how that would work. Yeah, um, I don't know if they do it anymore. I know they were doing it a lot during like the pandemic. Right. Um, but yes, that's, that's interesting. The gist of the spiel. Cause I can go on. There's certain things <laughs> in the area that I think supervisors have too much, you know, involvement, i.e. the agency that fired me for not talking to patients enough. You know, I mean, that, you do have a hard time speaking. I do. Just, just saying, um, but I think <laughs> If they're actually going to, like, give you a hand and help you. And not just show up to blow IVs. Yep, I get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so um, the, uh, the supervisor vehicle is going to be the first on scene. Uh, this fly car is staffed with one paid paramedic supervisor. Uh, they exit their truck and they're met in the driveway by the patient's husband. That can't be good. Right? Who tells the medic that his wife looks absolutely dreadful and that their adult daughter knows CPR and is standing by ready to perform it if need be. Oh, good. So so I'm going to pause here quickly. If you guys hear this statement from a family member or somebody on scene, how does this... Like, how does your thought process immediately change going and walking into this call? So, it doesn't really affect me, just because, like, I'm assuming it's an elderly gentleman. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't don't know many people above the age of 65 who say that somebody looks absolutely dreadful. I don't think I have an age on this call. We might find out later. I don't know. This so, one was given to us a while ago, mm. and and I wrote it a while ago. We've been holding on to it for quite a while. Um, so I honestly don't remember. So my my thought process when someone says that would be different if they said, like, hey, my daughter knows CPR and she just started doing it five minutes ago. Right. I'd be like, well, fuck. Right. But like, since he said standing by to, you know, to start doing CPR right away, you know, all right, whatever. So I think like if, if I'm hearing this statement, I think the only thing that really changes about, my thought process going in is if, if a non-medical person like this, this family member, right. 
And who knows what kind of, you know, CPR provider this, you know, this kid could be like it, you know, and and they sent an adult kid, right? So like it could be a 20 year old, a 25 year old. We don't know, but like they could be a nurse. They could be a doctor. They could be, you know, a camp counselor for all I know, right? With no medical training other than layperson CPR. So like, but for them to say, to like come out and be like, they look awful and then realize that they probably are going to need CPR that like, if non-medical people can, can look at somebody and be like, they're going to die soon. That kind of puts that, that thought process in my head of like, okay, uh, it's difficulty breathing, but. I should probably stick in the back of my head. Like they could probably die here soon. Like just because these other people see something and they're non-medical related, you know? Um, So the medic grabs their airway bag, um, their first in bag and their cardiac monitor. And uh, heads into the home with the family member. Uh, The wife is found leaning against the bathroom sink. And she tells EMS that she's been having shortness of breath for a week or so, increasing in severity each day. Um, What made her wait so long? Because, you know, patience. (laughs) She's definitely old. Right? So I put in adult. Um, and typically I, if it was elderly, I would write elderly. So this has to be somewhere between 18 and 64, knowing the way I write calls. So the, uh, the husband steps in as the wife begins, um, uh, wrong paragraph. Where the fuck am I? Nope. I am right. Um, so wife is found leaning against the bathroom sink, um, having shortness of breath for a week, increasing in severity each day. The husband steps in as the wife begins spitting sputum into the bathroom sink. Um, the husband tells the medic that she never goes to the doctor, hasn't been to one in about 20 years. Um, the husband reports... I know, right? These are my favorite patients. Um, The husband reports that her belly has grown considerably this week as well as her legs. Her belly is rigid and hard, and her ankles are also hard to the touch. Um, So at this point, the medic begins their initial physical. Um, They find that she is alert and oriented times four. Airway is open. It's patent. It's clear fluid or debris. Breathing is rapid and labored in the low to mid thirties. Um, chest dry is equal. Lung sounds are taken and they find a clear left lung um, with rails top to bottom on inside the right lung. Um, peripheral pulses are present and rapid and skin is palish gray and diaphoretic. So, with this information that you guys are given, 
what is your initial thought process that you're going with? I feel like it's it's blatantly obvious, um, which is the fun the fun types of calls because it's blatantly obvious and it's like okay we're gonna go this way, and then I throw in the curveball. <laughs> I mean, if her right lung is the only one you hear the junk in, I'm gonna go with pneumonia. Um, but I mean, it could be a fucking litany of things. You could be like the start of flash pulmonary edema in one lung. Cause I mean, I've had patients like that before. And yeah, I think where they, all the fluid builds up on one side and then it just cascades over into the, into the other. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the one thing that, that people tend to always forget about like CHF patients is you could have a CHF patient that is just in one lung until it folds over onto the other. Like typically, yes, they're going to fill at the same rate, but not always. Um, you know, like it having, having them, you know, rapid and labored in the low to mid thirties, um, they're already palish gray and diaphoretic. Like that's, that's bad. Um, could, I mean, it could also be like a saddle PE. Yeah, absolutely. Like now all, you know, once the surfactant just builds up, like that could be the crackles. That is and true. It's just blocking just enough of the left. I'm sorry. You said the right one. Yep. Was felt like. Sounded like shit. Yep. Rails top to bottom. Yeah. So, I mean, she could have a PE. And I think a lot of people forget about PEs. You know, you could have like Ronkai. All the tops. Ronkai crackles with a PE. You could have clear lung sounds with a PE, right? Like you can have all these different fluctuations. And if they're super hypoxic, they could be, you know, pale gray diaphoretic by the time you actually get to them. Um, it's like how long has she been cooking like this? Cause like she says a week, like yeah. she's been short of breath for a week, increasing in, in severity each day. So, I mean, you have to think that this lady has been hypoxic for seven days. This at PE, least if it is a P it's built up to an extreme amount. Right. Like, have you seen the photos of the PE that's, like, the entire... Lung? Vasculature, vasculature of the lung. Yes, and it looks like the Christmas tree. Yeah. Oh, so those like, things are so cool looking. You know, I would like to know, like, is she on blood thinners? What medical history does she have that she knows that she... I don't want her to be like, I think I'm a diabetic because I eat too much sugar. I don't fucking care, bitch. <laughs> I want to well, know... What have you gone to the doctor for that they've told you, like, you have this? Well, and, you know, Kelly, thank you for bringing up that point. Like, 20 years she hasn't seen the doctor. So, does she even probably have a medical history? Drinks. You know, she probably, you know, bangs an eight ball of Coke in the morning every fucking other Saturday. Like, there you go, man. It's it's all about the all about the cocaine. It's making a it's making a grand comeback. It really is. Yeah. Um, so 
what do you, uh, my second part of that is what do you want to do with this patient right off the rip? So here's the thing. I don't work in a fly car system. Oh, so you're going to defer this to me? No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm going to say I have the luxury of being able, like if I go on a call, unless I like pick up an overtime shift or like my partner bangs out for the day, they'll throw me in a fly car. But like, I have the luxury of looking at my partner and says and saying like, get me the fuck out of Dodge. Right. And I'm going to do everything else on the way. So like I'm most comfortable in, I don't like doing things on scene unless I absolutely have to. Yeah. So I I would want to get her in the ambulance and do everything else. Get like a quick, like blood pressure and SPO two and heart rate. Yeah. And then up jump and boogie. But like, the ambulance is 35 minutes away. You're stuck. I'd probably start working pretty hard. You know, some aggressive, you know, airway treatment, you know, respiratory. I I tend to agree, right? So looking at it from somebody who works in a fly car system, right? If you know that you're, um, you're transporting ambulance, your help per se is a half hour away, you have to think like, okay, I am with this patient by myself. If anything goes wrong, I have to then fix it. Right. If the, if like, I'm going to be ventilating this patient, I'm going to be ventilating them by myself. Right. Or I'm going to nasally intubate her. Right. Or, and then put her on the vent or, you know, or do something to that effect if you have these tools where I'm at we do have these tools right so I could put them on a vent I can I have a Lucas if I need it I have different tools to help me automate the process uh, but if you don't you're doing manual CPR you're doing manual ventilations you're trying to treat with different drugs or whatever like yeah, you have to be aggressive and do everything right there. But then you also might have to get creative, you know, and hope that you make it until somebody can get there for you. You know, um, yeah, I- it's it's not a fun situation to be in. I, I honestly remember the first time when I started working in the fly car, I would go through my checklist of how I'm going to run a code by myself until I finally did, because I would just have to remind myself, okay, the, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get there. I'm going to make sure they're dead. Then I'm the immediate thing to do. Put the Lucas on right after the Lucas goes, the pads after the pads gets the King after the King, it gets the vent. After the vent, I get the IO and then I can literally sit there for the hose again. And like, I literally can just sit there and push drugs at that point. Everything else has been automated for me. Right. And, and it, I mean the, finally the first time that I did one by myself, it went swimmingly because I did exactly what was on my list. And I wasn't, I wasn't alone for very long, but it was long enough that I got everything on my list done. Yeah, you know, I just, I, it's, it's just a different mindset 
Like I would love for this paramedic to like swoop them out into the truck and start boogieing towards definitive care, but they don't have that option. Yeah. I think right now this medic has to focus on aggressive ventilatory and airway treatment. I would 100% agree. Um, I really don't care if the SBO2 comes up as 98% or 100 or whatever. She's, you know, she needs high flow oxygen. Right. She's clearly not. If she's, if her stomach and ankles are fucking rock hard, I I might just jump straight to CPAP if her pressure can can tolerate it because she's obviously retaining fluid. Right. Or she's bleeding, but she'd be dead if she was bleeding. Right. And that big. Right. Yeah. So the uh the medic um decides to think outside the box here for a little bit and tells the husband to come over and help them out. Um the medic begins to get their BVM. Uh they they believe that she is too far past CPAP. Um, so they're going to go the, the positive pressure BVM route. Um, they get the BVM out of their airway bag while they instruct the husband how to place the blood pressure cuff and the oxygen saturation probe on, um, on her arm. So as the medic moves to provide BVM ventilations, they realize that this lady is a bit too large to provide the ventilations from the rear. So like around her head and ventilate that way. They can't reach. So because they can't really access her face from... How big is this lady? Apparently pretty large. <laughs> um, like, that's a lot of room. That's a lot of room, right? Um, so... Been ventilating Andre the Giant. <laughs> I know, right? Um, so apparently they couldn't really access this lady's face as she's still leaning over the sink, spitting out sputum. So they grab a dining room chair and they bring it over and they say, Hey, just sit in this. And you know, she sits down. The medic makes a, a good mass seal and starts uh, the BVM ventilations. Do we um, know what color the sputum is? Um, I believe I get there. Okay. Because I mean, it is it is important. I mean, I know it's it is know, important. Um, somebody and be like, yes. Oh, what color your spit? I do. I do get there. Um, so. Vital signs are run via the cardiac monitor because the beautiful husband was able to, with instruction, get everything on. Um, and um, blood pressure via the autocuff comes back as 229, 229 over 142. Um, heart rate of 144 via the SpO2 probe. Um, they, they estimate that the respiratory rate is still... Uh, in the low 30s, labored and rapid, um, 78% on room air because they're just starting to bag, and GCS of still 15. So definitely flashing. So I, this paramedic is doing like all of this as the only trained provider on scene. 
So, like, you say that she's flashing. They're already ventilating, right? They have 30 minutes at this point, probably 20, 25 minutes until their their help shows up. Is is this paramedic just stuck ventilating? Like, what is their what is their I, priority at this point? I would just take the fucking CPAP mask, and I mean, obviously, now that you're ventilating, you're stuck there. You're stuck ventilating, but take the fucking CPAP mask, pop it on her face, bag through that, and. That's a really smart idea. You only need one hand. Now your other hand, like, I'm a big fan of them. Fucking popping EJ in there. and That's a really fucking smart idea. Like, I have never once considered having that CPAP mask affixed to their face and then just attaching the the BVM to it. So That's it. fucking I brilliant. In all honesty, like I'll do it if I'm by myself transporting somebody and they, you know, code or they, you know, go into respiratory arrest. Like I just and just snip, like pop them, pop the mask on and bag them through that. That is awesome. Because that, like that like, means like I can even rotate the BVM around the mask. So like if I have to grab something from the other side of the ambulance, like pivot the BVM through. Right. Like that's freaking awesome. Like you're going to you're going to get a yeah ah! for that one cuz like that's that's awesome. I I like I don't I don't want to ever have to do that, but I know eventually I will and that will be in the back of my my brain now. Um, the other thing too like are you not I'm not saying like are you as in like you. Yep, yep. But like is this medic coordinated enough to actually like bag and do something else well not only that but like you know this husband was able to you know follow directions um you know that adult daughter that said they knew cpr yeah, like cpr certified so like she hey should she should know how to do ventilations unless she's like layperson certified where it's like hands only and then they don't know how to ventilate but you could easily tell them like here's what you're gonna do you know, saying, like we do that with newer EMTs. Exactly. Right. As long as this paramedic keeps their cool, they should be able to explain the process, you know? And at this point, being the only person that's there, they need all the help they can get, you know, because yeah. clearly it's not coming anytime soon. Yeah. It, but like if it was me, I would just throw that CPAP mask on. And like, I like, again, personally, I'm a big fan of them. Yeah. That's freaking everyone blew their minds tonight. If she's too big for an EJ, then just the, the reason I like doing the mask is because like you can sit her back in the chair mm -hmm. and hold your hand like this and, you know, have the husband like, Hey, tie this tourniquet on her arm. Right. And, you know, pull her skin down a little bit so I can look for an, you know, look for a vein. Like it's not like I'm telling him to be, it's just right. Right. Or even, you know, just drill her in the arm at that point, yeah. you know, like it's close. Yeah, you, don't, you don't need 
two hands. Yeah, I mean, you need two hands to find your landmark, but like you could do a quick little like, not hyperventilate, but like once every three seconds, give her right. a couple breaths to hold her over, find her spot, and then right. So, um, the uh, the medic gets about four ventilations in when she shakes the mass seal loose, stands up, and continues to spit this nasty sputum back into the sink. Um, yeah, definitely flashing. She's got that anxiety. Fuck. She's definitely got the anxiety. She's, you know, like gross sputums coming out everywhere. Um, the, uh, the medic, you know, attempts to go and get this, this seal, um, back. Um, and they also, try and, you know, have the, the husband, um, get the four lead onto her limbs. Um, so the, um, the initial, uh, cardiac rhythm after this husband places all the, all the stickers is a sinus tack in the high one forties. Um, a, uh, what was that? I said, I'm surprised it's not wide. Right. Um, a, um, a mass seal is attempted again, this time from a side position. Um, and, um, the, um, they're, they're able to get it. They're able to provide a couple more ventilations. Um, the, uh, the medic can spot the sputum in the sink, uh, at this point in time. And as we predict, it's going to be reddish pinkish in color. Um, so I think at this point we all are thinking this lady is flashing. Um, she's full of fluid. She's in full, like full onset heart failure at this point. Um, she's not, she's not so much flashing. It's like a gradual. I think she's already flashed and now she's at the tail end of it. Um, so another two ventilations are provided. Um, and she falls forward directly onto the paramedic. Um, He's crushed. Pelvis is shattered. He's right? Dead. They're dead. <laughs> Everybody is dead. Um, the daughter's actually like some fucking FBI James Bond type agent <laughs> fucking shoots them all. Takes a cyanide pill, you know? Right? Um, the, uh, the paramedic attempts to catch her, but is unable, and both the provider and her fall to the floor. Um, so that's gotta suck. Like that just, there's no way around that sucking so much. You know, when you're fucking getting smushed by mama June from the fucking honey boop show. <laughs> right. Fucking, With see, no give because she's full around. of fluid. Like, ugh, couldn't imagine. Um, so the, uh, the medic out gets out from underneath the woman. Um, and she's now in a prone position on the bathroom floor. He attempts to roll her over, but she is nearly 400 pounds. And the medic requests help from the family to move her. Um, the husband helps the medic roll her over and then slide her into the middle of the bathroom floor. Um, they find that her face is completely purple, 
Clear sputum is frothing from the mouth, and she has the smell of defecation, um, you know, wafting from her body. So the medic quickly checks for a carotid pulse and finds none. Um, they reconnect a monitor, um, the one monitor lead that fell off, and PEA is seen on the monitor. So, thoughts. Kind of inevitable. Like, the, we knew where this was going, um, but still sucks. Like, I don't think it doesn't suck for anyone involved. I So, I had a patient like this recently, like I want to say a month ago. Like, almost the same, but he wasn't so anxious in the beginning. Yeah. He's like, yeah, you know, I'm a little short of breath when I walk around. You know, the people there has been helping. And, like, homeboy walked out to my stretcher, sat down. And we get him in the ambulance. And, like, two minutes later, he's like, I can't, baby. Dead. And, yeah. But, like, yeah, I think he should have gone with the CPAP at first. Like, even if she, like, hold held it on her face a little bit just to try and clear some room in her lungs. Yeah. Because, like, obviously the ventilation's, you know, yes, that's positive pressure, but, like, it's not as good as a CPAP. And I think her mental status was still good enough for CPAP in the yeah, beginning. She, but she's just a 15, just anxious. Right. I, you know, she was, she was, was sitting there was... talking to the provider about how they felt, this, that, the other thing, like, I, I definitely think that, you know, CPAP could have been used. Um, you know, there's definitely enough pressure for it. There's definitely enough, you know, mental status for it. Um, I don't know if they thought maybe they were too far gone that CPAP wasn't going to work. I don't, I don't know exactly what their thought process was between picking between one or the other. You I know? think they should have tried it. Do you I think, think that fuck it and give it a try? Yeah. I don't know if it would have made any difference. I honestly and don't I think she was way too far gone at that point. You know, once she like, I've noticed once these patients start like pulling shit off of their face and like, don't tolerate anything. They're done. It's that's it. There's, there's no way they can like, there's no coming back from that. Right. And and your body's already in that fight or flight mode, and and it's and it's it's decompensated fight or flight, right? It's that decompensated shock. You're into that irreversible at that point. You know, we've reviewed multiple calls on this show that are similar to this one in that they're respiratory in nature. Like I think our second episode, excuse me, um, was was like that. And we did another one where, um, you know, the crew had somebody that was super anxious, ripping shit off low O2 set died in front of them. Um, you know, so I like, we've seen it not just in our own care, but like on, on this show where, I think P 
people aren't like providers aren't recognizing how bad people really are or they realize how bad they are and they just don't take the right steps to take care of it or like they're just too far gone. No matter what you do, it doesn't much matter. Yeah. I think my biggest thing is like in medic school, they're always like, Oh, people who are in flash pulmonary pulmonary edema are going to be anxious. They're going to be not going to want anything on their face, but they don't really explain that. That's a very late sign. Right. Like my, you know, flashers who flashed, like in front of me, they're normally pretty receptive to treatments. Right. Like with proper coaching. So like the fact that she ripped a mask off, that's not even like, I mean, yeah, you're pressing down, but like, you're not, you're not strapping it to their face. Right. I think the fact that she pushed it off, even like the spit and you know, this has been going on for a week. She was, was probably like brewing that, fluid in her lungs like each little each day of the week it just kept getting a higher and higher level right so i think this was pretty irreversible yeah i i think there this this lady so far outside the the window of proper treatment um i don't think anything was going to you know change the fact that she was going to arrest Let's put it that way. Um, So, go ahead. With positive pressure ventilations, if she had tolerated it, it would have just prolonged it. Right. You might have gotten to the other ambulance, and then they code in in the ambulance or on the way. Like There was no changing the outcome of that. I I don't think so either, Um, especially with it being so late. So... Um, now we have to think this paramedic remember is by themselves now working in rest. Right. Um, and so the medic does their due diligence. They start manual CPR. Um, they do not use ventilations at this point. It's just compression only CPR. And they call in an update, uh, to the County 911 to say this patient is now in cardiac arrest. There's um, no closer ambulance at all. What was that? There's no closer ambulance or somebody at all that could like help. So there was a um, BLS volunteer ambulance that was dispatched. However, they have not called in route up until this point that this supervisor knows about. So no cops. No cops. No cops were ever dispatched to the scene, so no cops were ever I'd, sent. I'd be calling them, sending you fucking everybody, fire, yep. cops, another ambulance, volunteers, a school teacher, I don't care. <laughs> I 100% agreed, though. Like, you have to get everybody there because if you don't call everybody and you're relying on one person to show up and they don't, you're screwed. My thing is too, like, you know, I make the joke about it all the time, but like where I work, you know, they auto dispatch police and the fire department. Yeah. It must be nice. <laughs> must is. be nice. <laughs> so like when I show up and, you know, 
there's three volunteer firemen and, you know, four or five state troopers, me and my partner are like, cool. Hey, you know, state trooper number one, go and get me demos, you know, look through their medicine cabinet, you know, try and get me some information. You f- three or four burly fucking firemen, you're going to be carrying her out. Now all I have to worry about is patient like, care, patient care, like ALS modality patient care. Right. Yeah. And that's lovely. Right. Now you work in, you know, some of these rural districts and you don't have any of that. Right. There's four cops for the whole rural district, you know, and that might be 800 square miles. Who knows? You know, um, let's put it this way. I know where this call came from because I was the, you know, it got sent to me and I talked to the provider that was on it. Um, and I Google mapped where this was from and let's put it this way. I thought Gilboa was bad. Like it was bad. It was really bad where this fucking call was. So like, they got like fucking chimpanzees swinging through the trees. Like Hoopdeville, like Hoopdehooville, man. So, um, the, uh, the medic uh, then yells over to the husband uh, to tell them what is happening because the husband's not in the room anymore, right? Um, and they ask if the daughter can actually come and help now, right? Because remember, that daughter is CPR certified. Yeah, fuck it. You go and learn today. Exactly. So get the fucking T-shirt, get the fucking jump wings. I don't care what you want. Bingo. You're going to fucking help me. You're going to help, right? So the daughter is now uber distraught, crying frantically, um, comes over and the medic tells them like, listen, I need you to help me until my help arrives. And they say, start CPR while they get the defib pads on. So the daughter begins manual compressions, um, they, um, during that point in time, the medic applies the defib pads, um, has her stop compressions to analyze rhythm, which is now asystole. Um, she's told to continue CPR, which they do. Uh, the medic sizes and places a BLS oral ad, uh, airway, um, puts on a non rebreather mask at this point for passive oxygenation. Cause there's no ventilations being performed. Um, which, I disagree with, but I understand it. I understand the thought process. I just don't under, if you, if you're going to do something, you might as well just do a ventilation every 30 compressions. Like, why don't they just put a King in and force some of that fluid out of the lungs? I mean, you, you could think about that too, right? Intubate them really quick. Why not do that? Right. Maybe they don't have a vent. I don't know. Um, you know, they they might be thinking, okay, if I do anything with this airway now, I'm going to be stuck on it, and I have other things to do. I well, don't here's, know. Here's my thing. Like, once you mention, like, how distraught the like, you're going to spend a good amount of time coaching them through doing adequate CPR. Right. You know, it'd be different if it was, like, a neighbor or, like, a family friend who's not like emotionally attached to this person. Right. But it's an immediate family member. 
Yeah. Like that's so gotta be so like, ridiculously hard. Yeah, I know I said like you gonna fucking learn today, but like maybe not. Like maybe I would have just sucked it up and done just single rescuer CPR, like I know it's not effective, but like one handed compressions reach into my mind. And, and, you know, like I, I do not envy this, this paramedic at all. Let, let's put it that way. Like I never want to be put in this situation where I have to make these tough decisions. Cause like, these are hard decisions for anybody to make, like, let alone thinking like, are they doing the right thing for the resuscitation? Are they doing the right thing for the mental status of this kid? You know, like, it's it's got to be mortifying to be in that in that situation. I would even say like to the husband like go grab me a neighbor. Go grab me somebody. Right. You know, and that's it. Like you know, or like you said just do it by yourself and do it the best way you possibly can. How is he not how is he not this medic? This is my only gripe so far like <laughs> So far. <laughs> right now. Right now. You suck. No, it's you not even suck. that. It's not even that yeah, suck ass. Why is he not screaming and yelling on the radio for help? Well, I I think send like send me a police unit. Send me a fireman. I think the fact like I I think they did and I'm going to just I, I'm not standing up for him. I'm just looking at the information that we're given, right? They have a unit coming. That's probably 10 minutes away at this point in time. Right. And they've already, you know, barked out on the radio. Like, Hey, this is a cardiac arrest. So like, I think that I think they left it. Without any further information, I think they left it in the hands of dispatchers to get them the help they needed. Yeah, you know, you like never, never can do that. But you know, they don't get anybody but their uh, their crew. Listen, if if I have to, I'm pressing that orange button on my. I you know I've only ever hit that little orange button by accident. I don't honestly like I've never hit it for an actual emergency. So like it'd be interesting to sit there and call Broken Arrow on the freaking radio and see how many people come. That's the thing, like, <laughs> I've had to press it in emergencies. Yeah, like working in you know city EMS. Like I've I've pressed that orange button more than once. Right, and mostly the police show up because but somebody it shows that, up. I'm, yeah, somebody shows somebody shows up. Right. When you press that orange button, it's an open mic. Like right. that, that microphone stays on. So like they're gonna hear you saying like, "All right, you, the daughter of this woman who just coded and crushed my ribs, <laughs> you know, keep doing CPR, keep doing this. I don't. Who cares if I get suspended or like a fucking smack on the wrist? I don't care. Right. Oh, boo hoo! I made you do your job. And, right. So, um, like I'd, I'd call on the radio and be like, I need to st- like, send me a, send me somebody. Then I'd ask again, third time I'm pressing that button. Fuck yeah. It. 
Now, as we continue, um, the the medic sees that the daughter is getting a little bit more distraught. Um, so they decide to switch out and just say, hey, I'm going to take over some compressions. Um, and when they do, uh, this is the point where the front door opens and the volunteer BLS squad walks in. Thank God. They, I, I know we bash on volleys, but like, thank fucking God. Right. They finally I'm gonna put you to work. They finally get some help. Um, and uh, one EMT enters the home. Uh, the medic okay. asks if there if if that's it or if they got a full crew and they're like nope it's just me um so it's somebody right they finally have some help so the medic switches off a cpr and this volunteer emt takes over cpr um no agency in this resuscitation has a lucas or an auto pulse or some form of mechanical CPR device. So the, the daughter's brought back, um, as she's considerably calm her now, um, and is told to ventilate the patient, uh, with the BVM two breaths, every 30, 30 compressions. Now here's, here's my thing though. Now that you have help, I get it. You know, I got to get meds on board. Oh, I got to do happy everything. Fuck that. So um, I think the biggest, the biggest, like I can agree with that. Right. However, the biggest thing that I can see this paramedic thinking is, and we'll see which direction they go is if this was me, yes, drugs are important, but positive pressure ventilations via ET tube or King airway is more important because you're going to drive some of that fluid out of the lungs, right? That's going to be helpful for this whole resuscitation, the oxygenation issue, because oxygen cannot get through that fluid to get to the cells. So no matter what you're doing, you're not helping oxygenation. Yeah. You're not, as much as we joke about getting covered in lung butter, I mean, you put that tube in. You're going to be suctioning like hell. And I mean, that just turns it, it turns it into a spigot. Right. It works. I mean, put, he put her on a high flow nasal cannula at like 10, 15. Keep her cranking on that tuber. So that way when you suction. Oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not ventilating her. She's not getting any oxygen. She's getting something. Right. I think, I think he's tunnel visioned into like the, then again. The process. Know. He could put, pull out like a 10.0 ET tube and like nasally intubate her with a goddamn hero. <laughs> but like. That doesn't happen. Okay. <laughs> that. I think, I think he's getting tunnel visioned and like, oh, I need to do meds i need to you know get access i need to do all this fuck that yeah i and i we'll talk about it at the end um with with the whole reasoning reasoning behind 
the code and and stuff like that. Why is it every time that you? Oh, it's only you and I. I always go on like a fucking soapbox rant. Because you have the floor. Kelly's being quiet, and there's nobody here making poop jokes to overstep your soapbox. And 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 think about it this way, right? If it's not you having the soapbox, it's Gerard having the soapbox. And with Gerard not here, someone needs to occupy the soapbox. And it typically is not me. I have to keep the decorum of the show. <laughs> I think that, yeah, I, the way, what I would do is I would just tell the daughter, all right, you were great. Thank you. We'll take it from here. Don't come back in here. Right. And now we have providers. Yeah. Even if there's two of them, we have something, something else to work with here. You know, yeah, that fresh provider, you're going to be doing CPR for a little bit. I'm sorry. Right. It's going to suck. And I'm going to fucking bag them, maybe put a king in. I wouldn't really fuck around with Tubiner because, like, you don't have a Lucas. You don't have somebody like, you know, someone's doing CPR for you. You got to, like, all right, I got 15 compressions left. I got to, you know, fucking. Right. And and I'm a I'm a big fan of the of the kings in resuscitations. I know that I know that there's you know studies Fuck out it. there Parker. that well I know there's oh god no I I know there's studies out there for the for the kings that show that you know if you over inflate the cuff it'll you know put more pressure on the jugulars and less blood actually makes it to the brain. Um, yeah, but if you're not a goddamn Neanderthal, you can re- <laughs> but that's it. If you're not putting 150 mLs of air into the balloon, I think you'll be okay. Um, I watched a kid I went to medic school with in clinical. They had an arrest, and it, you know it was his turn to fucking go in there. Puts the, they put a king in. He fills it with the 60 mL syringe. Disconnects the 60 ml syringe, refills the 60 ml syringe with air, and gives it another fucking 60 mls. What? <sighs> That's probably what the study is about. Right. Fucking like, moron. Stupid idiot. What? <laughs> 60 ml syringe. Boop. Yeah. Make sure, you know, maybe give it a little bit more, like 10, if it's still jiggling around. Well, Other that's it. That, as long as it doesn't move. Uh, yeah. So, as as we continue further, um, you're really ranting tonight, Jesus. It's only you. It's not me. Um, so no, I, said, I said I'm really ranting. Yeah, tonight. I'm telling you, the soapbox is yours. It's great. Um, that these yeah, are these are the one glory hole joke. These are the fun episodes that we get to have, and everyone gets to learn about the Phil Foundation's personality. Because clearly, you know, it's overshadowed by Gerard and Butch's, you know, monstrous personalities. Um, so with the, uh, with the volunteer and daughter handling the CPR aspect of this call, um, the medic goes in, uh, starts a successful 18 gauge. Um, they start their, their fluid infusion. Um, no, no. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They start their fluid infusion running it wide open. 
Um, because, you know, if they didn't have enough fluid before, they certainly do now. Um, honestly, you already know the cause. Fuck the H's and T's. She's not hypovolemic. Well, I mean, technically she is, because all that fluid is now in her lungs, but, like, you're just pushing all that fluid. I think, I think again, with what you're going to see, it was all just the... It, it switched from what is going on here and how can we help that to ACLS algorithm, right? So um, epi 1 to 10,000 is given, right? The first epi 1 milligram. Um, yes. I don't know why I raised my hand if there's only. I don't know. I don't Because Kelly might have talked over you that time. I don't know. I think I know we don't really do it, but like maybe give instead of Epi being your first drug, maybe go with bicarb and then follow that up with calcium because she's obviously acidotic because she's been hypoxic for so long. Yep. And like maybe this is a time we actually like think about things, map out the dose of bicarb. Yeah. Instead of just 50 and then 50, maybe like, oh, 100, both vials, because she's a big lady. Right. What's the worst that happens? Oh, no, our CO2 is 7.29. Right. Oh, good heavens. <laughs> Fuck that shit. I mean, you're, you are coming in with a lot of good points tonight, Phil. I, like, I, am, I am impressed. Like the arrest I did today. Yes, I will admit Epi was my first drug. You know, because he was in a store. Right. It was witnessed and yeah. not respiratory related. But my second drug, my second push was bicarb. Right. Because he, this gentleman had a litany of respiratory problems. Yeah. There we go. Yep. So, um, so Asisly continues on the monitor. Um, another Epi's given. Um, a BG's obtained because you know we have to we have to get that for Emily. So uh, that that comes back as one seventeen uh, milligrams per deciliter. Um, the other I know right woo. The, the other county ambulance finally arrives on the scene. Um, remember that this ambulance is a paid EMT basic and a paid paramedic. Um, a report of the events that occurred on the call are given to this incoming crew. Um, it's time for another check. A systole continues on the monitor, um, and another epinephrine is given. Um, so you're going to tell me, oh, that's our desire. <laughs> I no, um, it's not that Patreon level. Let's put it that way. Uh, this is like intro Patreon level. So the, um, the second medic inquires about what they want to do with the airway, whether they want to keep it the BLS adjunct or if they want to intubate, um, the, uh, the first medic tells them they have good end title waveform with good numbers between 10 and 16. Um, and they believe they could just keep the BLS airway, um, or they're, they're willing to do a King, but they don't see the need for 
a full ET intubation. No. Um, so the other medic really doesn't give a response to this. Um, they kind of just seem to agree for the time being and leave because that argument alone. What? Because it's a supervisor. Right. There you go, right? Do they want to butt heads with the soup? Fuck it. I'll do it all day. Right? So um, with the addition of the new hands, the daughter is relieved of all of her duties and the volunteer takes over ventilations while the paid EMT takes over compressions. Um, another two epis are given without any change. No pulses returned and asystole continues. So um, the supervisor paramedic uh, leaves the resuscitation and talks with the family. Um, the medic is able to get a little bit more history uh, about the wife from the husband. Um, <laughs> the wife didn't go to the doctor ever. Um, they said that they did have uh, some depression. They drank heavily um, and probably has had hypertension for 20, 25 plus years. Um, after getting this information, then they, they call the doctor for secure orders. Um, while they're on the phone, the, uh, the secondary medic attempts an intubation, um, a full on ET intubation. Um, but they can't actually get the jaw opened because there is Christmas present. Um, they ultimately discontinue the attempt and replace the BLS airway. Um, the, uh, the supervisor medic does receive a secure order, uh, after talking with the MD on the phone, they explain it to the family and they ultimately discontinue the resuscitation. So overall Phil foundation, good, bad, ugly, how'd it go? Pretty ugly because like it changed from, like you said, it changed from what do I have to do to a keep this woman alive or B fix what just happened? Right. To oh she coded now she's ACLS. Yep. It. It's not that hard. Oh, it's respiratory in nature. She's filled. I have to push that fluid out. Fuck it. You know. Her pressure was what, 200s? 200s. Yeah, 229. She was more than capable of tolerating CPAP. Yep. And I like think... I said, even even the mental status was good enough for CPAP. Would, you know, CPAP and aggressive nitro, right? That's the That's the big thing is, you know, we're looking at, uh, blood pressure above 180 systolic, three you know, sprays. you're giving three sprays here, you know, every three to five minutes, as long as that pressure holds, you know, or, fuck it. Who knows? Maybe they had the ability to do IV. Even, sure. even better, right? Start the IV with the CPAP on and start giving IV nitro, right? Um, get that fluid out of the lungs as fast as you possibly can. There's still a good probability that this lady codes, right? A very good likelihood that they code. However, you know, maybe I think, you know, if they didn't do 
the really aggressive treatments in the beginning, maybe at least try and do some respiratory management during the actual resuscitation. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I think that too, like you said, they kind of just went, okay, we have a respiratory patient. Now we have a cardiac arrest patient and let's do ACLS. There wasn't a, okay, well, what is causing the cardiac arrest? It is ultimately heart failure, right? So it's a pump problem, right? But it's also a hypoxic heart problem, right? So you got to have to fix both ends of this. You know, you got to fix the the weak and flabby heart, right, with the heart failure. So that's, you know, doing the job of CPR. But then you also have to fix the hypoxic aspect of it, which is get them oxygenated, you know. And, and the sad part is I don't know, you know, I didn't have anything in terms of, you know, um, SPO2 and end title um, after the resuscitation started. So I don't know those numbers. You know, they could have been seeing 96% on on oxygen and calling it good, you know. Um, and okay, but is that really good or is that a false positive, you know? Yeah, I mean, she's working with one lung. Right. Right now, in the beginning, she was working with one lung. And we, and we have to remember that you cannot oxygenate, oxygenate through fluid. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you cannot do that. So you have to remove that fluid so that oxygen can pass through the alveoli better. I think the first thing he this medic should have done. I don't even think he should have had the just been all you until someone else shows up. It sucks. I've done it. You've done it. Right. It it blows. It blows fucking horse cock as people say, but like it's it it's reality. You can't I'm not gonna make someone's daughter or son, husband, wife, whatever mm-hmm. fucking do pushy pushy on their loved one. It's... Yeah, I mean, again, I do not envy the decisions that this medic made on this call, you know, and I I don't want to be put in that position at all, you know? Like, that, that has to suck for everyone involved, paramedic included. Unless they are just a terrible, awful human being, like, they have to realize that this is going to suck for everybody, including themselves, you know? So like try and mitigate that best you can. Um, you know, yeah. Call like call everybody and their brother, you know, to try and get you help. Sometimes it's not going to come and that's okay. You know, but you know, BLS before ALS at this point, 
you know, a good airway, some deep suctioning and, you know, and pushy pushy probably would have been okay, you know, uh, with a ventilation thrown in here and there, you know, fuck. What about, do they ever suction her airway when she coded? Nope. So she was foaming at the mouth. Yep. And. Yep. Why not? You caught that finally, right? <laughs> I did. Because <laughs> I was going to say, fuck it. Just do like, do a salad technique. Yeah. Jam that thing right into the esophagus. Let it go. And I mean, because she's going to keep bringing up all this fluid. The suction catheter is going to catch it and it gives you to bag. You can bag around a fucking suction catheter. Right. Or intubate around it. Yeah, it's, I, she should have been intubated. There should have been an advanced, like an ALS advanced airway. Yep. In place. King, yeah. And combi tube. I don't care what it is. And you know, like I, I think even in this situation, I love King Airways. I love them. I love them with a passion. There's, however, I think even in this situation, I would have moved towards an ET tube. Yeah, I mean, it's patient dependent, but like what people don't seem to realize for all you new paramedics out who were in my shoes almost two years ago, um, there's a little hole on the end of these king tubes. Like, not the, the front hole, like the one in between the two balloons. You can slide a bougie through and exchange it for an ET tube. Mm-hmm. So even if you do that at first, like this guy, fucking yep. pop it in real quick. You got you and one other person, a volley who's probably done a call the entire calendar. <laughs> I had to throw a... Uh, one volley joke in there. But like... You're fucking pounding on the chest. Bagger. You need to bagger, obviously. But, like, the fluid is going to come up that king tube. You can suction it out that way. When another medic shows up, hey, grab me a 7.5 ET tube. Right. And schluck it down there. Hand me the gum bougie. Deflate the tube. Slide it, slide it in. Put it a little extra lube on there because, you know. No lube. Lube never hurt anybody. No. It it doesn't. And 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 I think that's a a very valid point. Um, you know, in even if there's, even if you have to sacrifice the quality of something, right? You can always exchange it for something better later, mm-hmm. right? Um. And, and I think that goes a long way in this call, right? I think there were a lot of um, ways that it could have been improved. I think we've hit all of the ways that it could have been improved, right? Um, it would have been interesting to see how this call would have went if it wasn't by a, a paramedic supervisor by themselves. If this was you and your partner or me on an ambulance with a partner, how would it have went? Right. Um, if this paramedic supervisor wasn't there, right. 
and that other ambulance was the only one that was going to come, right? Would they have found cardiac arrest when they got there? Like, was it that inevitable that nothing this paramedic did was going to change that? I think probably. Yeah, I think so. But I don't think they, I don't think they helped or hindered the process. Let's put it that way. You know, um, so a, a couple points before we get out of here, just the, we, we hit CHF pretty hard, right? In the signs and symptoms, the, the, the shortness of breath, sometimes you can get associated chest pain with it. Um, the pink frothy or reddish sputum, um, the decrease in oxygen saturations, the, uh, pale, cool, clammy skin, as well as, um, the, uh, hypertension, tachycardia, and low oxygen saturation um, with fluid in the lungs. So you should be hearing rails and or crackles. But we always tend to think of left versus right side heart failure, right? But I like to break it down to um, the actual causes of the heart failure, systolic versus diastolic. Systolic heart failure is a ventricle that has become weakened and or flabby um, and can't actually eject the blood out of the heart. So like MIs, um, dilated cardiomyopathy, those types of things are going to create a weakened left or right ventricle. Um, Then you have diastolic heart failure where the heart is completely normal. It's just unable to fill. So there's a squeeze from the outside. Tension pneumothorax, cardiac tamponade, those squeeze the heart from the outside, not allowing uh, enough blood to fill. So if you know the cause or potential cause, right, um, then you'll see signs and symptoms either on the left or the right. So left side heart failure, fluid backs up into the lungs, Right side heart failure fluid backs up into the body. So this lady had both side left and right sided heart failure. You know, there was fluid in the lungs. There was fluid out in the body. So who knows? I'm thinking this was probably a systolic issue. Um, you know, if they believe that they, they had chronic hypertension for so long, This was probably a dilated cardiomyopathy patient, but who knows? They could have been an MI patient earlier in the week and their heart crapped out and said, yep, I'm done, right? Um, So CHF, aggressive airway treatment, positive pressure ventilations. Typically, you want to use CPAP, but you can use uh, BVM ventilations and then hit them with that aggressive nitrotherapy. Um, Nitro is going to be able to push that fluid uh, or I should not say push because the positive pressure ventilations push the fluid, but um, the nitro is going to open up those vessels inside the alveoli to be able to put that fluid back into the vasculature and out of the alveoli. So your, your lungs are no longer drowning, which means they can actually do gas exchange. Um, and then a long, long time ago in a podcast far, far beyond, uh, in our past, we talked about 
way respiratory patients and how they code, right? This lady coded exactly like a severe respiratory patient. So severe hypoxic patients, which this lady was, when they code, their heart does not have enough energy because it's so severely hypoxic to produce a shockable rhythm. So it does, it, it will literally go from like a sinus tack or a sinus rhythm to PEA or asystole. It will not do any of the VTACs, VFibs, nothing. So just be aware of that when you're dealing with these super hypoxic patients that you can be like, oh, look, they're dead. And you think you missed something on the monitor and it was never, ever there because they literally were heart rate of 140 PEA that quick. Um, and, you know, I, I think the only thing, the, the last thing I wanted to just touch base on was, was being by yourself. Right. And, and we kind of alluded to it in the beginning, but I think the best thing that you could do if you are a fly car medic or if you're a supervisor paramedic and, and you're working in a truck by yourself, the best thing that you could do is set yourself up for the most amount of success with you utilizing your equipment, whether it be vents, pumps, you know, uh, CPR devices, whatever it might be, right? Utilize those devices because they're going to save your skin. So know how to use them, get them on quick, set them up, and go from there. But I think being overly aggressive I think you have to be overly aggressive because you don't have the ability to sit there and go, Oh, well, what is this? Let me figure it out while I'm transporting 40 minutes to the ER. It is I'm with this patient for the next 20 minutes. If I don't do something by the time the, the ambulance gets here, this patient is fucked. Like you, you might have to sit there and do a lot of work inside the house. So bring in your shit. Don't leave it in the truck. Don't be one of these fucking pecker heads who leaves all their gear in the truck. Like bring your gear in, figure it out, be aggressive, treat your patient on scene. Anything to add, Phil? No, I think I hounded on it enough. <laughs> uh, so there's only two types of calls I'm scared of. Those are pediatrics and respiratory patients. Because they both suck. Because they both compensate pretty well at first, and then they just fucking drop. Yeah. And the drop is so significant. It's like they literally are alive, and then they're dead. Mm -hmm. It is wild. Absolutely wild. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, so... Thank you for joining me, Phil. Thank you for joining me, uh, Miss Clinical Director Kelly. Um, we will see you guys in two weeks. Uh, by then, I think it'll be Happy New Year. So, Happy New Year to everybody. Merry Christmas to those who celebrate it. Um, and we will see you guys in uh, 2024. That's scary. 
You know, we've been doing this show now for three years. God damn. Like, that's, like a, that's like a whole certification timeline. I know. Isn't it freaking crazy? It's just, it's freaking wild. Don't forget, guys, get your uh, Medic Materials stickers, uh, medic-materials.com. You can buy them right there. Till next time, guys, stay safe, and uh, happy New Year's donuts. Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want more information on the podcast or to send us a car review, please visit medicmaterials.com slash podcast. To learn more about earning continuing education credit from listening to this episode or others, check out medicmaterialscmeacademy.thinkific.com. We appreciate your continued dedication towards EMS education and helping us advance the field. See you next time.